Welcome to Nice Ashes. I'm Nate. And I'm Mike. What do we got here, Mike? We have a Rocky Patel Vintage 1990. Another torpedo uh, action for everybody. Used to be six inches long. So I'm going to guess it's a Robusto. And, uh, yeah, and I, yeah. the wrapper, I'm trying to remember now because we smoked the other one, the other vintage. Yes. The uh, other vintage, I believe, is darker. That's what I was going to say. I thought the other one was darker. This one's a little lighter. Not as light as a Connecticut, but. Well, my first impression is uh, good. Yeah, it's yeah, got mine a good too. good start, you know. Better than, uh, better than others that we've had. Um, usually a cigar doesn't start off like. Uh, and I'm instantaneously in love with it or anything. Yeah. This one, um, it's got a really nice draw. Faint hint of spice, I think. Uh, fairly earthy. It is, but not uh, overly dark, in my opinion. No, no, not overly dark at all. Pretty all right. good darkness. Um do you want to do the uh, the media that we recently consumed, or do you want to do uh, your other topic that you had in mind? Uh, I was actually thinking we could we could do the media, uh, okay, or we could do some news because I just heard some crazy stuff about what's going down in Minneapolis. Well, let's do some crazy stuff because I happen to be down in Minneapolis and I uh, didn't really see anything crazy, so you might oh. know stuff that I don't. Really. So, well, I heard something crazy about marijuana laws and Joe Biden, which I thought was interesting because it relates to the Brittany Griner thing we talked about. Yes, yep. And then I heard some really crazy stuff about um, the new contract that they signed in Minneapolis. So, uh, yeah. For the police force or for who? No, no, for the teachers union. Oh, well, let's talk about that. Okay. So, um for those who don't know, the Minneapolis Teachers Union went on strike last spring, and uh, they got a new contract. They wanted raises, and they wanted several things. So a clause, a clause in there that wasn't talked about at the time, and I wasn't uh, fully aware of, was that when layoffs came, instead of doing it by seniority, which is a traditional union way, they are going to do it uh, based upon race. And they are going to actively curate and try to lay off teachers that do not fit the majority demographic of Minneapolis. AKA, okay, so let's... Oh, go ahead. Oh, finish your thought and then oh, I'll ask say, AKA, they have... And the school district acknowledges that they had racist hiring practices uh, like 20, 30 years ago. And as a result, a lot of tenured teachers are white, a disproportionate amount, more than it should be uh, based on the applicants that they had at the time. Okay. So they are going to lay off white teachers who are tenured before they lay off teachers of color who are not tenured. Okay. So they're going to do they're going to do race-based layoffs, which they are going to do this year because the district 
does not have enough money to fund itself. Okay. And so normally what they would do is they would, what, lay off the least senior teachers first? Yes. The last, the last person in the door is the first one to leave. Right? So, and then yep. they would probably do it more based on, like, obviously they're not going to just lay off a special ed teacher if in reality they don't, you know, like, they're going to get rid of certain kinds of teachers first. Yes. Uh, like gym teachers. Because it's easier to put, I'm not saying it's right, but it's easy to put 80 kids in a gym class and then say, you're all just going to run around in a field. Yeah. Than it is to obviously have fewer special ed teachers. Or here's 12 knotted ropes climbing. Right. right. You know, that exactly. was always my least favorite in gym. You know, I have a hard time remembering what regular gym class was like. I know that in high school, I took uh, racket sports. And uh, okay. I enjoyed gym class in high school because I we had uh, some pretty interesting classes that were still, you know, got you active. But yeah. it's like, let's go play racquetball or tennis or whatever. <laughs> and yeah. it's fun, you know. So with anyway. uh, the race-based things, and I know we had an episode, at least one episode, maybe more, where we talked about, you know, like kind of the reparations, uh, you know, for slavery. This yes. is not so much reparations for slavery, but it's reparations for an acknowledged um, racist hiring practice in the past. So uh, I guess my question is, do you think that this is justified? This is the right way to go about doing this? Well the end result is going to be that they're going to get sued uh, because uh, federal law expressly prohibits the hiring and firing of people based solely on their race. So it's illegal. Yeah. So how did this get into the contract? I wonder. Well, (laughs) because the union negotiated for it. So it's what the union wanted. The union requested it from what I understand. Yes. Yes. That seems odd. It only seems odd if you don't take into account that it's the Minneapolis School Teachers Union. Fair right. enough. <laughs> You're not taking into account that factor, right? This isn't the Iron Workers Union. <laughs> no, and I suppose, uh, you know, just to be fair, that this is the union from the biggest city in the state, more or less. So it would be comparable to another big city in another state. So this isn't going to be your more rural school districts, no. right? I mean, it, you know, across the to the George Floyd. I know that there's a lot of momentum still culturally, even though there's been no government policy change, really. Yeah, uh, and and I understand that, and I understand people are still upset about that. And rightfully so. People and rightfully so. Yeah. You know, the the fact that nothing changed on the police force is one thing that's frustrating. Uh, trying to make up for it in the teachers union is a little different. Like, I understand wanting to have a mix of teachers that reflects the community that the school, you know, that the school is located in. Um, I'm curious, though... 
because the only exposure I have to kind of a study on race of teachers versus race of students is from the uh, Thomas Sowell book that we read and we discussed on the on the show. Um, and he was talking about, you know, the Southern blacks were getting performing better when they were taught by Northern white teachers. Of course, at the time, I don't know that there were any black teachers that had the same experience as the white teachers. So I'm not sure if that was strictly solely race-based or if that was just more of a, you know, they hadn't trained up enough black teachers yet. Right. I think it was more, they hadn't trained up black teachers yet. And I'm certainly not saying that one race is a better or worse teacher than the other. That's not, not my point. Um, But I think that, you know, if you have a diverse city, you probably need a diverse teaching core. Yes. Well, Minneapolis, the city of Minneapolis has more poor people in it than the average in the state of Minnesota. Which is interesting because up north here, we are also poorer than the average than the state of Minnesota. (laughs) Uh, I think that the suburbs are probably the the portions that are wealthier than Rochester and, you know, maybe Duluth, parts of Duluth. Yeah. But probably not the city of Duluth, more likely, you know, Cloquet and Two Harbors and places like that. I thought it was interesting. All right. I just wanted to hear what you had to say about that or what you thought about that. Yeah. uh, You know, working, working where I work and uh, interacting with a lot of, um, HR people, uh, we do a lot of HR outsourcing, you know, like you said, uh, putting something in a contract about race, uh, especially around the hiring and firing is probably always a no, no. Uh, I'm not an HR specialist or anything, or I don't have any certifications, but, uh, certainly aware enough that, you know, putting race in is probably not the smartest move you can make, uh, especially in our, uh, society that likes to litigate. Um, right. I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of these documents are always so long and so wordy that a lot of people don't read them or they just kind of skim them. So I don't know who all needed to kind of look at this or if the, if the union even used a lawyer to put down their demands. I don't know. Um, there's certainly ways you could do it without explicitly stating race. Um, I think, I don't know how, uh, again, I'm not a lawyer or an HR person, so, uh, it's tough for me to imagine how, but I I think, uh, I was going to say, I think the end result that they're going for is probably in the right direction, right? Getting more diverse teachers. Uh, I think that's probably a good idea. Uh, I don't think that what they're doing is the right way to do it. Um, especially since I know like with teachers, the tenure is such a, such a big thing. It's huge. It's huge. Well, the attack on tenure began, uh, nationally with Scott Walker, the former governor of Wisconsin who terminated the teachers union contracts and, uh, got rid of the tenure system there. Uh, and that was really frightening. That was one of the things that caused me to really rethink my career choices uh, outside of my personal experience, of course, you know, yes. it set a very bad, uh, environment to be a new, 
to get to trying to start a career in that field. That's a dangerous Uh, precedent to set. Yes. Uh, I know that teaching as a whole probably needs quite a bit of reform uh, across multiple fronts. Uh, My... I've seen the Waiting for Superman documentary where they talk about kind of like the revolving door of teachers with tenure. Nobody can fire them. So each district kind of shuffles them around to other districts at the end of the year, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't really ever fire them. They're, if they're tenured, they can sit in a room and get paid, uh, you know, quote unquote, looking for a job. Um, sure. So, you know, I, there's certainly things that probably need to change. Uh, I think the biggest thing that would probably reform teaching is, you know, offer them a, a decent wage. And then, boom, you've got good teachers, you know, or you've got a bigger chunk of good teachers. Well, there is a national teaching shortage right now. And that is based almost entirely on the wage. Uh, who the fuck would go into a job uh, that requires four years of school? to get in and then years of experience and then more schooling to become a cert fully certified tenured teacher. And at the end of this, you know, you, you only start off at 20 to 30,000. And at the end, you can expect to make 70,000 and no more at the end of your career. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, putting in hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially, at least a hundred thousand dollars in uh, cost for uh, your schooling and all those other things, you know. And it's extremely stressful. And it's a, it's, I mean, it's a twelve to thirteen hour a day job during the school year, you know. Yeah, and most of them have to buy their own supplies, even. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't about teaching, but it's kind of about another industry that. Yeah, I think this. I think this kind of like underpayment or uh, not keeping people's salaries once they're hired, not keeping those up to the current market rate, as it were, um, is like nursing because they've got uh, temp nurses or the traveling nurses that don't really work for any one hospital, but they work through a nursing uh, like temp agency basically, and the hospitals will hire them on in busier seasons or if they've got a lot of nurses out. And these temp nurses are making a lot more money than the nurses that work for the hospital. So a lot of the nurses that work for the hospital are quitting and going to work for the temp agency. So now the hospital is paying even more to get these temp nurses in to cover them. And they might even be the same nurse that used to work there. Uh-huh. So it doesn't, right. make it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, just pay them more. Right. And, well, I, I've always heard this issue with tenured teachers not doing their jobs and they could put things in the contract that would uh, invalidate tenure. If you could document them, not actually performing their duties. Yeah. The same as anything else. Like if you're not doing your job in most, in most industries, you either get fired or uh, if they have any kind of HR department, you get put on like a performance improvement plan and you're given like one last opportunity, you know, you either, Start doing your job or you're gone. Right. And it's it's not that difficult to do. You know, I mean, I was a union wireman for years. And a five-year apprenticeship, they train you to do your job. And then once you become a journeyman, 
if you don't do your job, you just you're just gotten rid of. You know, the, yeah. there's no question. You're just going to be laid off, and there, you can't fight a layoff. You can still collect unemployment, and then you can go back on a hiring list. Uh, and if yeah. you're an apprentice that doesn't do your job, they'll just fire your ass, and you'll be out of the program. Period. Yeah, they don't need lazy apprentices. You're there to work. You know, uh, and that's. Theoretically, that's what the process of getting tenure in a teaching program is supposed to be doing, uh, is preparing them to be doing their job correctly. But all the same, I know that uh, Florida modified their laws to where now if you're uh, for a veteran and you have uh, two years of college credits, you can be a teacher at a school. And in uh, Texas, they're allowing college students to be teachers, like full-time. Oh, wow, okay. Oh, yes. The, oh, yes. It's, uh, there is a massive shortage nationally. Uh, and this sort of precedent, if it's allowed, is only going to hurt uh, future getting teachers in the future, you know. Uh, it doesn't set a very good precedent to have racist hiring and firing practices openly. Well, racist, racist want. either way. It's well, it is racism. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's so it's, it's racism, right. but for most of the, you know, more uh, white people are bad uh, group. They tend to believe that you can't be racist towards a white person, which is simply not true. You know, they call. They call that it reverse like, racism, right? If you're being, well, you know, if you're being racist to a white person, but really reverse racism is like what being an actual decent human being to somebody of a different color. So I, I, it's, it sounds awfully similar to the rhetoric that we heard in the 1950s and 1960s. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it sounds awfully close. You know, if you could take somebody else's statement and change a word in it, and now you agree with it, you probably think the same thing they think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, just one word. You know, take out group one and put in group two, and now you agree with it. You have the same ideology as that person. Yep. Uh, just, you're pointing it towards a different group subgroup, you know. It reminds me of the women's studies um, spoof uh, documents. Are, oh, documents. They were like... Uh, peer-reviewed studies okay. that were made. And what they did is they took excerpts from Mein Kampf and they took out Jew and they put in man. And then they came up with this crazy thesis that was based on like Nazi ideology. And they published it and it went into a peer-reviewed uh, uh, journal. Right. It passed into and, the journal. And was probably... Uh, and published highly highly well received uh it got positive reviews yeah they didn't even know the people who authored it which was a group of uh a woman and two men at a who were science professors they created it together as a uh a study of their own they were yeah. doing a study of their own on the women's studies department okay yeah like some uh, kind of psychological or <laughs> Yeah, I think the woman was a psychologist and one man was a statistician and whatever. They were not, they all had different disciplines. None of them were women's studies and it was both men and women. And yeah. it was astonishing. And they all got uh, reprimanded for it because they made the uh, women's studies program look bad. 
But we don't do that here. Right. We have to like the women's studies group. And I'm not against women's kick, studies. I take women's studies. Uh, I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm not, not against, against women's studies. But you know, I'm, I'm not, not against, you know, African-American studies or anything else. But, you know, it's one of those things where if you have a women's studies, you kind of have to have like a, a men's study as well. Right. Um, do you remember those those bars that had the ladies' nights? And now you hardly ever see ladies' nights anymore because somebody took them to court because it was discriminatory against the male patrons. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I had to take a women's studies class uh, as a part of my multicultural training, as they call it. And uh, the professor made a statement that I strongly disagreed with. And we had an argument for about two classes about it. You arguing with somebody in a position of authority. I know. That doesn't sound like you, Mike. Well, the weird part is that by the, it wasn't just me. I got a lot of the female students on board because, uh, (laughs) she made the statement that it, you know, women, you know, face, uh, unrealistic expectations by society. And then she brought up double standards and I started breaking apart the double standards. And one of the double standards that really got a lot of the women in the class upset was she said that women who are single in their 30s and 40s are looked down upon society, but men in their 30s and 40s who are single are not. And it's like, well, that's not true. Every small town living person knows. (laughs) Well, you grew up in a small town. Yeah. Every person in a small town knows that if a man is single in his 30s in a small town, you know, he's gay, he's a... Serial killer. Serial killer. He's a... There's something wrong with him. Like, yeah. It's very looked down upon for that man to be single past, you know, 28 or 29 or whatever. You know, he's a weird freak. But it was all just... Well, and part of that... I mean, this is taking it a little bit away from the women's studies, but part of it is our society has kind of a very unhealthy... Um, obsession with couples or long-term relationships where you're not, you're almost not validated as an individual unless you are in a long-term committed relationship. Right? Right. Like people don't take you seriously. They say they might, but a lot of times they don't because they're like, well, that person can't find a partner. That person doesn't have a significant other. I can't, you know, they don't like, think that out loud in their head but they still will be like well they're just playing the singles game or something you know like it's all these little dismissive comments right what i heard Um, a lot uh growing up was they must have a vicious personality some variation not that exact not that exact uh statement obviously but some version of oh they just must be vicious or cruel or you know have some emotional defect yeah uh there was a uh I don't know, a collection of things, you know, on Twitter, sometimes they ask uh, like, hey, what's something weird that your significant other did or what's something weird that like, you know, your boyfriend did or whatever. And there was like one and she was like, well, my boyfriend never wiped his butt after he pooped because he said it was gay to touch his butt. And I'm like gagging because I'm like, what the fuck? I don't believe that for a second. Uh, that sounds like bullshit to me. It sounds like it because like you couldn't like other people <laughs> would impossible. smell it. They would smell You'd it. You'd get a rash. You'd well, get a rash. And more and more. Yeah. If you go camping for a week and don't shower, 
and you're not giving yourselves hoe baths with like baby wipes or whatever, yeah. you get a rash everywhere, not or just like on your butt. Take a, you know? take a dip, take, take a dip in the lake. Um, <laughs> right. which makes me, which makes me wonder like all the, the, uh, settlers that were wearing like five piece suits marching across the hottest part of the country with their wagons. And then they bathed like once a month. Well, they were bathing more often than that. That's kind of a myth. You know, first of all, they were carrying water with them and they put vinegar in the water to keep it sterile for long periods of time in the wooden uh, barrels, you know? Yeah. So if you're going to take a cloth and you're going to rub vinegar water on yourself, like every day, let's say, okay, you're going to sterilize your body a little bit. Like enough to continue. So they weren't doing, they weren't doing like the sit in the wash basin, like the steel. No, wash no, basin thing. In, uh, they did like, that like once a month, but they would they would still clean themselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The they take a sponge yeah. bath or a version of a sponge bath, which is what a lot of people do across the world still now. You know, uh, yeah. Obviously, it's not as effective as a full on shower with modern moisturizing soap and all the crazy shit that we have. Well, yeah, and the like and wonderful. the and the gendered soap, because heaven sure. forbid a man uses a lady's soap or vice versa. What kind of soap do you use, Nate? Uh, I use Dove for men. Oh, so you're a gel guy? No, it's a bar. It's a bar. Oh, soap. it is. I just use Dove for sensitive skin. Okay, well, but yeah. this is like the Dove, like men, you know, and it's just bar soap. Oh. Yeah, I just use the this Dove, you know. Well, they yeah. have regular Dove, and I'll use that, and I'll use Dove for sensitive skin. Uh, I used to use Dial, but Dial uh, dried my skin out real bad. Oh yeah, yeah. I think like growing up, we always had the Irish Spring, and so oh, I tried yeah. that again as an adult, and it just it wasn't that good. It didn't didn't actually like clean. Like I still felt kind of dirty afterwards. It um, makes my skin get uh, irritated from the perfumes in it. Mm. Yeah, I use like uh, I'm really big on the scent free everything. Yeah, I don't know. It's like the dye and the scent and shit is not. I think it's because I've not used those products for so long that my skin is now sensitive to them. <laughs> Probably. And a lot of those things yeah. are are very harsh on skin and nobody right. really tells you that. So Right. But you know, they're they're harsh on skin, so then you have to buy their other products that get rid of rashes. You know. It's like a whole right. big exactly. thing, right? Like So I yeah, about, it'll be uh, oh, oh I, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm about halfway go. too. Yeah, I'm about uh, halfway. And um, I, I like it. I think it did do a little, almost kind of like a sweeter. It got a little sweeter towards the middle. It's sweeter and it's dark, but it is good. I really like this one. Yeah, this one is. Uh, this yeah. one could go toe to toe with the Fuma. Oh, easily. I think this thing could go almost toe to toe with the Series R. Uh, uh, Romeo and Julieta. Okay. I like I, uh, I, I like, like this one. Much. I think well, I was trying to keep it within the Rocky Patel family. Um, oh, I think this is better than the Fuma. Yeah, I think this is better than the Fuma, and I'm trying to decide if it's better or not than the Connecticut Howitzer, because the Connecticut Howitzer was magical. This one's really good, though, and I think if I were to pick a Rocky Patel to smoke, you know, on the daily or more frequently, because I'm not going to do the Howitzer every day, you know, like it's no. just it's too big. Um, this one is, is probably it. This is probably the best one. Um, 
of a, of a regular normal smoking size without going to the howitzer. Yeah. Oh, I would. Yeah, I agree. This is a uh, definitely a tier uh, right now. We'll see as we go on, but it's uh, very good. I really like it. Yeah, I like this one yeah. too. The the nineteen ninety. The nineteen ninety. Yes. What it was is, the uh, What was uh, the year on the other one? Ninety two. Ninety two. Ninety two. I think yeah. ninety two is when everything started to slide downwards. You know, like in the nineties, you still had like really good <laughs> movies, and you had like some good music still. Um, then these kids came out, and they're ruining my old bad life. <laughs> I like stuff after nineteen ninety two. I'm not as old. Oh, as you. me too. Me too. I, I'm I just, was just uh, joking around. I was just joking around, but. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, back to the teacher thing. Ha ha ha! Great segue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a horrible thing, really. I mean, truly, yeah. I it's like this is bad for us in Minnesota and horrible for the city because it's when it's, it's bad for the kids. Racist. It's bad. And it's for, bad for the kids. It's not going to be good for them to have fewer teachers, no matter how you want to look at it. Uh, it's probably not good for them to have have fewer senior teachers either, uh, if they're uh, accomplished, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it depends. It depends on how how good of a teacher they are. Um, because I'm not I'm not for holding on to old people just because they're old, you know. I mean, professionally speaking, and uh, well, there's and also you know what, and you can't, and so like you can't discriminate against age, right? But as a young working professional or whatever. Like, I'm not protected. They can call me a young whippersnapper. They can, you know, I mean, yeah, they can't really. We're not really. even that young anymore. That's the thing. It's just. No, I know. But at like, least they at can... where I work, I am the youngest one. Yeah. And I'm middle-aged. But they can, uh, <laughs> but they can <laughs> you know like, I mean? <laughs> but they can put down young people all the time. And it's so much harder for a young person to try and bring like an age discrimination against an older person. Oh, sure. Right, and you're not like legally protected by age until you turn forty, I think. Um, so it's like, I'm I'm not in favor of holding on to somebody just because they've been there a long time. If they've been doing a great job, then by all means, yes, hold on to them. But if they're the crouchy old person that's like, I don't like anything other than these overhead projectors and transparencies. Well, maybe it's time to go find something else to do. Like go teach at the museum and say this is how we used to do things. But don't be a teacher in 2022. With all these young kids that are coding already and doing other stuff, you know. Sure, I mean everybody. Every every job is different. A lot. There's still people in the workforce who are anti-computer, which is insane. Uh, you can't be anti-technology in the modern world. No, uh, it does make pretty much everything in every case better, or easier, or more efficient, or you know, better. Yeah. Well, you know, you you can. I mean, there's there's healthy relationships with everything you know cigars screen time social media you know i mean all of this stuff you know there's there's healthy and unhealthy with it you know and if you're like doom scrolling on your phone till the wee hours of the night that's not healthy you know no. if you're if you're watching fox news or cnn till all hours of the night that's not healthy either like turn off the news like turn it off um, you know, watch your just... local news, uh, especially if it's very local. 
like you know what I mean by very local. Like doesn't cover national topics unless yeah, it's yeah. happening in your area. You know, watch it for like half an hour and then call it good. Right. I love watching the local news. Like the local news. I want to hear what's going on in the town, you know, 40 miles away. If they have some weird festival going on, you know, Far- next Farmer That's Johnson great. found a weird rock in his field today. Ah, I mean, I want to hear about it. More I mean, at it six. Literally, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I, that's what I want to hear, you know? And then you hear about the local people that are missing. Yeah. All this stuff happens, and nobody nobody even knows that there's people missing in your area. Or, no. Well, it all gets, because you know? uh, everything's so sen- sensationalized at the national level, and that's how they draw you in. Like, you have to understand, when you're watching Fox or CNN or any of the other uh, news programs, that's how they draw you in. They have all these sensational stories, and they pound on them and pound on them and pound on them for like a week, two weeks tops. And then they get everybody all riled up about that. And then before anybody gets riled up enough to actually do something, they say, but wait, guess what's going on over here? And then it's a whole new two-week cycle, and then so on and so forth. And it's always something new. And nobody sure. can ever like focus long enough to actually fix anything that's going on. So we're kind of in this cycle where we're more informed than ever, but... My God, we don't do anything about anything. No. I mean, look at the abortion issue. Nothing yeah. Nothing has meaningfully changed. And we went back, you know, even in one of the previous episodes, we are talking about Occupy Wall Street and Black Lives Matter and the George Floyd thing and all the police reform that was supposed to happen, but still hasn't. Right. But they're finally charging the uh, officers in the Breonna Taylor shooting. Oh, really? Yeah, that was the, uh, I'm sure you remember, Mike, but for any of our listeners, oh, that do. was the uh, no-knock warrant where I believe it was, it wasn't even her or her boyfriend, but they broke into their apartment on a no-knock raid, and I think the boyfriend was trying to defend the home, and they shot and killed her. Sleeping in bed, I thought. Yes. She was sleeping in bed. I don't know about the boyfriend. I know the warrant was for a previous boyfriend of hers yeah. that put her residence as his residence on his driver's license, uh, unbeknownst to them, allegedly. Yeah. We don't know because they're not alive anymore. Yes. Uh, but uh, And he had committed some crime or was accused of committing a crime. Again, it's kind of like the George Floyd thing where... Yeah, he was accused of committing a crime, and it's yeah, regardless of his past as an individual, it's not even clear that he was committing a crime. He was yeah. accused of committing a crime, uh, and it's one of those things. And Breonna Taylor was not involved with any of the crime committing at all, other than dating a bad a bad person. Yeah, other than dating a person that was acu- in the future after they were no longer together yeah. was accused of a crime at that time. So uh, that was her dating crime. a potential bad person. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's crazy. That reminds me of the, there was a case in Minneapolis or the Metro where they committed a no knock warrant and they shot a guy laying on a couch that started shooting back at him. Uh, and he was in a shitty neighborhood and he was not a criminal of any kind. He had a concealed and carry license. Yeah. Which so, you don't even need in your home. Which you do not need in your home, but the fact that he had concealed and carry license means he had no criminal record. Yeah. Of any kind. 
Yeah. You cannot get a concealed carry license with a criminal record. Well, and here's, and here's the interesting thing. In Minnesota, we don't have the castle doctrine. So if somebody breaks into your home and you're physically able to escape, you need to escape first. But right. if you're running from the cops, even if you don't know it's the cops, like somebody breaks down your door and you don't know who it is and you try and run, guess what? They're probably going to shoot you anyway. Yes. So, like, like what? What are you going to do? Nothing, I guess. It's a no-win situation. Yeah. It's a no-win situation. And I don't think that no-knock warrants need to be gotten rid of, but they need to be restricted. You they know, need to be... Are, are you going after somebody who is a serious criminal? Well, and you so know? here's here's a segue for you, uh, ex-teacher man, is... You know what? I had this brilliant segue all mm-hmm. planned in my brain, and uh, and now it's gone. Uh, but anyway, I was going to say something like, uh, you know, it needs to be very specific, uh, yada, yada, uh, Brianna Taylor weed thing. Not yes. Taylor, uh, Brittany Griner weed Brittany thing. Brittany Griner, the weed thing. Yes. See, that transition worked out amazing. Thank you all for listening and uh, bearing with me while I had a complete and utter brain fart. We are in going the running for those. whatever nominations they do for... TV personnel. What are they called? Tonys? No, the Tonys of the screen that's actor. Like, yeah, that's like whatever. Uh, TV acting. Yeah. What do, I don't know what newscasters yeah. win. Um, yeah. Well, we're I'll not pro- really prob- casting the news. but I know, but I'll probably, whatever it is, I'll probably never win it. Uh, no. Whatever it is, is not for people of my ilk uh, and stature in life. So it's just the way it is. So, uh, so Brittany Griner is, of course, going to be serving nine years in jail. Prison, Russian prison. Can we call it a Russian gulag instead, or is that racist? Nah, it's not racist. I mean, they had, they have gulags, so it, it might be a gulag. I'm not sure if they still have gulags there. I don't know a whole lot about modern day Russian uh, prisons. What do you know about gulag culture? Uh, only what I read in Ivan Denisovich. You know what I mean? I love <laughs> I love that book. So do I. I, I really do as well. Uh, that's what I know. Yes. (laughs) I I also know that, uh, the Bolshevik revolution was planned in gulags. Okay. So they weren't super restrictive necessarily. (laughs) But the living conditions weren't, weren't very good. Living conditions are not great. Yeah. But, uh, you can make a lot of friends there. I've heard. Apparently they didn't really control you a whole lot. They just kind of, I know that they didn't have, uh, a lot of them didn't even have fences. Okay. It was just like the, the terrain was so shitty that if you wanted to leave before your sentence was up, you go ahead and leave and take your chances. <laughs> well, and I, and I also heard that uh, most of those gulags uh, from back then didn't even have Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. I heard that human rights violation as well. Yeah. That the uh, czarist gulags did not have uh, Wi-Fi. Uh, or gyms. They had no gyms. Or kale yeah. salad. Yeah, I mean, I mean, where did they get their avocado toast? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's uh, border, borderline Well, it's probably good that uh, Brittany Griner doesn't have her weed anymore, so she can't have the munchies and have to eat, like, a raw potato. Yeah, borscht. Borscht. It's, only, it's the only Russian food that I strictly know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got potatoes. And you got vodka. Yeah, I guess so. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. those are what? The three main food groups, borscht, potatoes, and vodka. Yes, something like that. <laughs> so, 
So anyway, uh, they did a little, somebody that I, I watch did a little investigative journalism and uh, reported on it. And the first year of the Biden administration saw a 25% increase in the prosecution of marijuana crimes. And, all right, so fact one. Yep. Biden is more restrictive on marijuana than Trump. Fact two. The seizing and burning of property went up by 85% under the Biden administration, a.k.a. the Biden administration is sending the feds in to burn farms down that are growing marijuana in states like California and Colorado and places that legalize growing. Yeah, it's legal at the state level, but it's still illegal at the federal level. Right. So you get into a weird gray area. Right, and the feds can still prosecute. The, the local yokel won't, the, they won't, but the feds can still send in the FBI and the FBI will come in and burn your farm to the ground uh, because you're growing marijuana, which is legal in the state, but illegal federally. Fact number three, under the Biden administration, the, the State Department, under the leadership of Merrick Garland, prosecuted two black men for marijuana possession. One got life in prison because it was his third offense. And the other one got 16 years. And I don't know what offense level that was. I don't know the story behind the 16 years of prison for possessing marijuana. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I believe both cases were basically personal use amounts, which I would consider anything under a pound. I mean, Theoretically, that's dealing, but I mean, realistically, when I was, maybe, maybe when, when somebody that I know was using marijuana, wink, uh, I'd buy a quarter pound, a half pound at a time. Well, so it I, depends. I being the person that I know who used to smoke marijuana, who, uh, it, I think me, it depends, course, right? Because me. like, <laughs> what, what's your buying preference? Right. If if uh, if you could only have X number of cigars on your on your person for personal use, I mean, we'd be we'd be charged with intent to distribute. Right. You know, um, but I don't sit at home and smoke every cigar that I own in one night. You know, right. I can go and buy a 24 pack of beer or, you know, five bottles, 1.75s of some liquor and nobody bats an eye. And it's like, well, I'm not going to drink those in one night. I mean, there's probably people that do or try to and black out halfway through. But do you want to have to go buy a small amount of weed every week just so you can smoke? Or do you want to buy for a month or two months? Like, Right. And uh, especially, let's just say the story is from 15 years ago. It's a lot more difficult to get marijuana then, so it's definitely a better idea just to get a lot. Yeah, store if, you've got, if you have the connection to get it. Yeah, if you can get, get it and it, hold it. Just, yeah, you get a bunch and you store it correctly, and then you don't have to worry about it for a while. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, so, <laughs> and all, and so, you don't have to worry at all, and it's it's a safe place. You don't you're not carrying it around or doing anything dumb. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I think the important thing to, <laughs> to note here is neither Mike nor myself know how to safely store or transport marijuana. So this is all hypothetical to our listeners because this is a cigar podcast and we can yes. talk to you about cigars 
we're just kind of trying to talk about the legal uh, hullabaloo, I suppose, around yes. marijuana because marijuana grows in the ground and you smoke it, and tobacco grows in the ground and you smoke it. So um, it's peripherally interesting to discuss. Yes, it is. And it's related to the Brittany Griner thing because there's an uproar. And now we know that there's several other Americans in prison in Russia for trying to smuggle marijuana in. Yeah. All for personal use, right? It wasn't like a drug dealer. Uh, we're not, I'm not, nobody is seriously alleging that Brittany Griner was trying to uh, traffic drugs into Russia. Right. Yeah, I don't think the ruble to <laughs> I don't think the ruble to U.S. dollar exchange rate is worth it to even try and sell anything in Russia. Uh, you know, their prices are fairly stable. They're not really uh, having the price inflation that we're having here. But but they're oh. the ones fighting the war. I know, right? Interesting how that how that has happened. That their their prices are fairly stable. Biden uh, did say we had to pay the price for freedom. So here we go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're freeing. We're making those people so free. Uh, we're, we're we're making them free with the beauty of our of our of our arms. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I mean, that's kind of what we were saying, or what we were trying to say when we talked about Brittany Griner is the hypocrisy of it. And it's just so hypocritical. And you brought it up how offensive it was that they were going to trade an arms dealer for a basketball player. Yeah. And we Any put people in prison. Player. We put people in prison for the same shit. And we uh, burn their farms. And we burn their farms to the ground. And these guys are, I mean, I don't know any people who grow marijuana because it's not legal to grow marijuana here. Yeah, I don't know anyone either. Um, but I guarantee you that they're just farmers. You know, even if they're hippie farmers, they're still just farmers. Yeah, they're not <laughs> the people that have, like, the teardrop tattoos under their eyes. Exactly. Yeah, that's slang for those who don't know. <laughs> uh, slang for murdering people. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we do have listeners who may not know that that is done in certain games. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's... It's ridiculous, and, and the high and mightiness of it is so offensive to me because we're we're the same shitty. We do the same shitty stuff. Uh, we being the United States, not me personally, or you know whatever. But it's it's insane. It's just well, insane. and and the interesting thing is that you know all of this stuff is accessible to look up online from reputable sources. We're not talking like random, you know, what if threads. We're talking like we can legitimately go back and see Joe Biden's voting record. We can go back and see any major politician's voting record and and to go back and, and see that, you know, where he cited in the past on everything and now he's trying to play the other side because guess what? He's the liberal or democratic president so now he has to play this part and he has to care about wnba stars who are smuggling weed into russia regardless of how much if it's one bud if it's you know three bushels i don't know if they measure weed in bushels um 
you know, but for him to try and care about that or pretend to care about that when we know that he doesn't and for him to try and pretend to care that he cares about Roe v. Wade when he doesn't, uh, you know, it's just. And I'm sure the other presidents that we've had in, in modern times all the way back, regardless of, of party, have gone back on their words and they've, you know, engaged in doublespeak or uh, groupthink or, or what have you. Um, but I feel like Biden is pretty much like he doesn't play it close to the vest. It's just like, bam, I hated that. I mean, he doesn't say that because that would be, you know, something that might be somewhat admirable if he was like, you know what? I hated, uh, I hated abortion in the past, but now it's like, the, it's the, one of the building blocks of our democracy. Uh, but he doesn't say that stuff. He just pretends like he never hated it ever in his life. And how many other politicians do that? Probably all of them. For sure. But I think with, with Biden, it's easier to call him out on that. It's easy to call out because it's so ridiculous. People, you and I have talked about this. We talked about it before the last election. Yeah. That Biden is the last Dixiecrat in the government. The last one. There are no more. He's the last one that's still alive. Uh, and, of course... I guess I should explain the Dixiecrats were the Southern Southern Democrats who were conservatives. You know, they were against desegregation. They, uh, they were the bad guys uh, from yeah. our modern perspective. Well, uh, and uh, maybe we should talk about this briefly. Uh, we got a little bit left of the cigar left here. Um, but this was something that uh, somebody I know that was a diehard uh, Trump fan uh, posted uh, online that uh, you know, hey, in in Racine, Wisconsin, is when that was where the term Republican was coined, but the era in which that term was coined meant modern day progressives, because there was a, a flip or a flop, and I don't know necessarily why. But I remembered it when I was listening to the Liz Cheney speech, concession speech, when she was saying, you know, Abraham Lincoln was our, was our party, but he was a Democrat, which at the time was kind of the more conservative of the two, uh, two parties. So, um, you know, it was they, they switched. And I think you would be able to explain it better than I. Um, uh, the party switch. It was obviously a gradual process. Well, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't overnight. It wasn't overnight. Uh, but to make a very long and complicated story uh, simplistic, Teddy Roosevelt was so popular at the beginning of the 20th century that he wiped out all of the old school conservative politics with the, the force of his policy uh, and personality, with creating the national park system and being a trust buster and really fucking up the companies that were in charge of the uh, quote unquote golden age of industrialists, you know, I'd vote for him. And they brought in a bunch of laws like child labor laws and the 40 hour work week. And uh, they created that food and drug administration uh, and all these things that the modern world just takes for granted. Uh, the modern American world. So after that, for a number of years, 
And Woodrow Wilson was the first Democrat who was a quote-unquote progressive, uh, even though he was a hyper-racist, uh, possibly the most openly racist president we've ever had. But he was uh, more progressive on a lot of labor policies and things. And for a number of years, the Democrats and the Republicans were very similar. And FDR really slammed that home. I mean, FDR finished what Teddy Roosevelt started. And uh, after that, the Republicans and the Democrats pretty much didn't disagree on a whole lot. They were very similar. Uh, one of the disagreements was universal health care. The Republicans were against it and the Democrats were for it. Post-war politics type stuff that is not really relevant uh, to the modern world. And that continued until 1968, uh, when, or 1964 through 1970, when the Democrats started to pass the Civil Rights Acts and the Voting Rights Acts, and they actively started desegregating every part of Southern society. And then uh, Richard Nixon in 1968 developed the Southern Strategy which was a purposeful attempt to, one, put dog whistles into the Republican campaign to signal to racists that he was on their side. Two, a lot of the old school Southern Democrats were racist and they were very resentful towards the Democratic Party for passing the Voting Rights Act and actively trying to desegregate and the great society programs that tried to increase the wealth of black people. And then uh, after Nixon got uh, elected, based on the strategy, he initiated a series of acts that made marijuana illegal and heroin illegal and LSD illegal and all the modern drugs that we think of being illegal. He's, he's the one that actually made them illegal. You know, LSD was perfectly legal in 1967. And then it was magically uh, hyper illegal by the 1970s, you know, and uh, that's ultimately what to put the nail in the coffin of the party switch. And the Republicans ran as conservatives and they wanted to win the South because they knew they didn't have a chance anymore up north. Because in the north, the desegregation policies and the Voting Rights Act policies and all these things were very popular, uh, and understandably so. And now they don't want to talk, they being uh, any politician of any party, don't really want to talk about that because it is based on racism and the manipulation of people uh, in that direction. And when you say racism, you mean states' rights. <clears throat> right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, that's what they call it now. Most of the time. Even though I am a states' rights, I, I like well, the idea, yeah, I mean, I like not, the not idea to, of states' rights, not, but not, to, uh, not states' rights so that uh, pe black people have to carry around a, a book that says all the friendly gas stations in Oklahoma or whatever. <laughs> I'm not a fan of that. No, yeah. no. Uh, states' <laughs> states' rights within reasons because I I uh, too like states' rights and you know like local local rights. Um, but not to the extent where it over overtakes or overwrites human rights. Right. I don't want my uh, my neighbor to go on vacation in 
some other state and magically have their human rights violated. Yes. You know, that's just not cool. Um, in that way, I would like the federal government to be somewhat powerful, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think, but, I think where the federal government needs to be powerful is with those, whatever we as a society determine are the human rights. Right. You know, and I think that's why the Roe v. Wade thing is so disappointing and infuriating because that should be a human right. You would think so. I, there's now several cases that made national attention where the abortion issue is being made to look ridiculous. There's a woman somewhere, now I can't even remember, who has a fetus that does not have a skull and there is zero chance of fetal viability and she is not allowed to have an abortion. She has to bring the baby to term. And there's yeah. zero chance the baby's going to survive. You know, the standard medical procedure is to just abort the fetus and, you know, start again. Yeah, because, and, you know, I mean, pregnancy is not easy. Even even a normal, you know, heavy air quote normal, like, but a, like a, you know, textbook pregnancy is still not easy. You know, there that's it's a lot of body stress to undergo and why would you allow something that is not going to live to continue to inflict that on the mother or the pregnant woman and and then what you have a risky or a you know potentially i mean like giving birth is not it's not necessarily exactly. easy or safe. Yeah, you know, exactly. it, it, it all depends. You know, yes. Uh, cave, when we were living in caves, uh, yep, we didn't have hospitals. So you either had a had a nice, nice pregnancy or you didn't. And you and the baby died or one of you died or both of you died. Um, you know, and, and now pregnancy is a lot safer by and large, just statistically speaking. But that doesn't mean each individual case is just as safe. And that doesn't mean that there won't be complications. There's very healthy babies that th something goes wrong somewhere and they need to be induced. They need to, you know, come out early. They stay in longer than they should. You know, I mean, there's all sorts of things. So it, it shouldn't even be an issue. Like we shouldn't even have to be talking about it. You know, it's, if it's not viable, like, and, and 0%, I mean, how often do doctors say 0%? Not, the longest not a very child often, that has been you know? born without a skull has ever lived in the United States is one week. Yeah. And that's just not good odds. Also, the there was a story in uh, Ohio that got national news coverage that a 10-year-old was raped. They arrested the rapist. She could not get an abortion, had to go to Indiana. And now that, that uh, child's mother might be facing prosecution. Uh, because she violated Ohio law by taking her across the border to get an abortion. Well, that and, is some dumb fucking shit right there. Right. Number one, the Fox News world tried to deny the story was real. Then it turned out to be real. Number two, they said, oh, it's very rare. Well, then it came out, and this was not covered nationally. 
actually about one time a week in the state of Ohio, a, 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 a child under the age of 15, aka 14 and under, yeah. has to get an abortion from a rape in Ohio alone. Yeah. Right? And by population, that means that other states probably have similar rates. Uh, well, it's ugly, think. but it's true. I, it's yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't make it right, but you know, you can't take a take a victim, especially of something like rape, and then make them a criminal. Right. It is because not they're, because they're, because they're because they're trying. Baby. No, because they're trying to move on. Well, even even like safety aside, they're trying to move on with their life. They're trying to put that incident behind them. They were a right. victim of a violent crime. And now you're trying to turn them into a criminal because they're trying to move on with their lives. Right. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, it's insane to say, oh, yeah, 13 year old should have to carry the baby to term. It's not safe for a 13 year old to carry a baby. No, it's just not. <laughs> Even in the modern world. That's well, did, a it, terrible did, it, idea. did it happen in the past with kings and queens and royalties? Most yeah. of the time yeah, when they when they got married. See, no. Most of the time when those child marriages, they didn't, they were married and they were separated until they were late teens. Okay. And then they were allowed to get involved. You know what I mean? Yeah. And but there's, but there's stories. America, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's stories though of younger royalty having children at, at a lot younger ages than we currently do or that we currently would expect or would currently be socially acceptable. Sure. But just because it was just because it happened once or twice or a small percentage of the time doesn't mean you can sit there and say every 10, 13, 15 year old can carry a baby to term like that. That's not justification. That's like the rare instances, right? Those sure. are the outliers. Those aren't the, the, the norm. Yeah. In a lot of societies where child marriage is normalized, they are purposefully, they have monitored interactions. Let's put it that way. Even in America, so uh, in the puritanical society in the Northeast, they had child marriages, what we would consider child marriages, uh, largely as a method to prevent premarital sex. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But they would still live with their families separate and stuff until they were adults. You know speaking about uh, cultural laws and things, um, some one country just voted to decriminalize homosexual sex. Oh. Like today. But but it was funny because they're like, hey, we're gonna decriminalize, you know, gay sex because what two consenting adults decide to do isn't our business. But we're gonna just kind of firm up our laws on the gay marriage thing so that we don't have any of those. <laughs> right. You know. But uh you know some of those countries they don't have and even here, you know, it takes time. And there's no national law that legalizes gay sex here. There's no, no national no, no. law that legalizes gay marriage. There's no, no national law and there's, and that there's legalizes no... interracial marriage. And even in this country, there's not going to be a law that legalizes gay sex. They're just decriminalizing it. You know, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, right. They're not saying that you necessarily have a right to do it. It's just that if you do do it, you're not going to get prosecuted. It's, it's, a, it's like a fine line, but I think... You know, it's maybe the first step towards that country kind of coming up to, you know, 2022 in their laws. But 
you know, it's, it's, it's the same. 2022. No, I know that, but it's the same thing as we were talking about with, um, you know, freeing all the all the enslaved people, right? Here, like you can't just do it overnight. Like there's a there's a roadmap, there's a process to make that happen. Like this country probably couldn't just straight up and say like, hey, whoever wants to get married is fine, because there'd be riots, people would be upset, and and things. So the first step is let's decriminalize gay sex. Sure. And then we'll see if we, you know, fall into the sea or burn and in brimstone and hellfire. And then maybe, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, uh, anyone who can, who wants to get married can get married. You know, like it's, it's always a process because you have to, there's other people that, that think the exact opposite thing. So I'm not saying that's right. And I'm not saying this country is, you know, the bastion of all things to strive for, but I'm just saying like everything legal is, is a process and you have to sometimes pick and choose, Hey, we can do this one tiny little step without pissing everybody off and having riots and bloodshed. Right. Or we can just, you know, it's almost like going, you know, cold Turkey or a whole hog or whatever the phrase is. But then that's when people get really angry and that's when you get violence and that's when you get, so I don't know. It's, it's different, but I don't know. I agree agree with you. The uh, federal government should have less power in certain arenas and maybe more power in others where, you know, human rights, like that's what I want the federal government to do. Human rights and keep me safe from invading nations. And then leave me alone. Like, stay out of my life. Um, Largely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's definitely, like I say, they have to have rules about many things. But obviously our, our federal government is borderline out of control. I would say it's probably out of control, not even borderline. Yeah, I would I would agree with that assessment. <laughs> Unless we have any federal government listeners to our podcast, then whatever you're doing, we love it. Well, a lot of if we do, they're probably doing something that is uh, a commutative good. You know, there's Possibly. a lot of things the federal government does that is very good. Just like it, it the, could be the Department of Homeland Security right. saying, "Hey, we heard about these nice ashes guys, and uh, right. yeah, yeah. we need to we need to decide if they can fly or not." The state is not a bad thing, and the state does create an environment for everybody to survive, to, to thrive, but that can quickly turn into uh, overreach and tyranny, as yeah. we have possibly seen in the last several years. Well, uh, yes, <laughs> I think I think. Uh, I think it's less of walking a tightrope and more of a pendulum. Right. It is. It is more of a pendulum, obviously. Not obviously, but that is how American politics have... The history of our country has been that swing. Yeah. 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 Of extremes. So here's here's the really uh, big question, and this is maybe the most serious topic we've talked about this episode, is uh, do I get the roach clip for this cigar? I was thinking the same thing because it is uh, <laughs> so good. It's good down to the last drop. It's uh, just as good now as it was when it started. It's changed. It has changed. I like the, I like the cigars that change. I do too. And uh, I was just going to say that. I think that uh, that's why I love that Connecticut howitzer. Uh, just keeping it within the Rocky Patel family is because it had such a drastic change. And this change has been a, uh, more subtle, but it's been noticeable. And it's been yes. a very pleasant change all throughout. It has. I had issues keeping my cigar lit 
okay, so I want to talk about that too because um, after I got past about the halfway point, no issues whatsoever. But that first half, I felt like I needed to smoke it a lot faster than I normally would because it was kind of, it wasn't giving me the full on this cigar's fully lit smoke in yes. my mouth on the inhale. And so I actually relit it and re, re fully lit it. Like it was lit and going, but I put it back to the lighter and inhaled to get the fire, you know, the, the flame back in there to keep everything lit. So there was that little issue, but everything, it still tasted great. Um, I don't know why it wasn't, uh, wasn't going fully, right. but I haven't I had any see. issues since the halfway point. I used four matches after I initially lit the cigar. And uh, I usually don't have to relight. Uh, and I did have to light it uh, about a quarter of the way through. I had to relight it again. I put it down for you know, a little bit just to let it cool down. And then I had I, I was puffing on it. It still had smoke, but it wasn't fully lit still. Yeah, that all was the, the same, same that I had. Yeah. Well, mine was lit all the way around, but it just, it was... When I was experiencing it, I was thinking in my head like it's slow, like it's a slow, I don't know, like the inhale or the, the burn rate or something slowed way down. Yes. And so I had to relight it. It wasn't really like a relight, but I had to apply more flame to it uh, to get yeah, it back it, it wasn't to a, that. It wasn't out. At no, no point did it go out. No, no. Yeah. I just had to freshen up. It's almost like the oil in it was slowing the fire down. And uh, for those who listen... We don't have the same humidor, so if it is a moisture problem, it would have to be the same moisture problem, you know, in his humidor and mine. Yeah. I don't even keep my all my cigars in the same humidor. I have several. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, we're just, and, it, and, you know, for any statisticians out there, yes, we're, we only have a sample size of two, so it's not... Uh, not causation for sure, but uh, there might be a little correlation there. So, right, and it's it's extremely good. I mean, I am. Oh yeah, this is I a have great, an inch, great cigar. I have an inch left, and I am still smoking it with no yep. desire to put it down. The uh, the so. 1990 and the Connecticut Howitzer are the two winners uh, thus far of our Rocky Patel. Absolutely, we may have more to come. Um, oh yeah, I'm just we saying. Had some so far, some behind the scenes uh, talking about it. We're going to be done for now, but I uh, I believe that we have more to come. I, we may not. I may have made an error ordering. Uh, that is very possible. But yes, and uh, uh, for anyone who is super interested, and I was actually thinking about this too. I was like, we should do some like special episodes or bonus episodes where we kind of talk about maybe like our recording setup and some more of like kind of the behind the scenes stuff. And, sure. uh, you know, it'd be kind of cool or fun to do just for anyone who might also want to start a podcast or just want to know what, what we're rocking or what we're doing. Make but an excuse to your significant other to yeah, yeah. spend time bullshitting. Yes. <laughs> On a routine um, basis. <laughs> yeah, for so. sure. But, uh, but with that being said, Mike is mostly like the logistics of like, what are we smoking? Uh all of that kind of things. And then I'm more of a, like the tech, like record and then, you know, get things edited and up. So. Right. A lot more work uh, on your end. I have to say. Oh, probably uh, true. Probably, probably true. true. But, uh, but it all getting, works out. We have a symbiotic out. relationship. Yes. It's like a double Dutch rudder. 
Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, a double touch rudder. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's one for all you listeners to go and Google. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, but I think we could probably call the episode. This is a great cigar. Uh, I yes. really enjoyed it. Highly recommend if you're at a shop and uh, you're going to sit down for an hour and uh, shoot the breeze. Yeah. Do the 1990, not the 92. Yeah. I mean, you can do the 92. It's not a, not a bad cigar, but... Uh, if you want no, something not really as good, good as the 90, 90 in my estimation. Yeah, no, mine, mine either. So now it's woody, by the way, at the very end. You got yeah. a lot of wood. It's it's great. I I probably smoke this until my fingers catch on fire. So <laughs> my fingers are borderline already on fire. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> it's uh, uh, definitely on the edge. Yes. Uh-huh. We're, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll hopefully catch you next, next, uh, next episode. Uh, hopefully we're not in the burn unit. Yes. Be safe. Have fun. Thanks for listening.